Steve and or uh, Steve Chris uh, encouraged us to all sing. As we've seen on uh, Wednesday evening, looking at the book of Psalms, uh, when they went in to worship on the Sabbath day, that, that was one of the things that they did. They sang and make a jo- made a joyful noise, and they were praising God for that solid rock that, of their salvation. And we have so many things to be uh, praising God about. You know, life is tough sometimes. There's a lot of problems in our world. But as a Christian, there's something that should give us joy, and that is knowing that we have the blood of Christ that cleanses us uh, from all sin. So we, you know, let's sing uh, with a joyful noise uh, in our heart, uh, make melody in our heart, and be what God wants us to be. Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church. And last Sunday morning, we looked in the Old Testament at, at prophecies that were concerning the establishment of the church. We looked at Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. We looked at Micah chapter 4, verses 1. And Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. And there we find the where, the when, and the how that it was to begin. And I think that it's important to know that, you know, that was God's plan from the beginning. There was no plan B that He had to come up with because man didn't cooperate with Him. This was God's plan from, from the very beginning. And so the church was prophesied. And then we looked in the New Testament, which the time that John the Baptist lived and the time that Christ lived was actually under the Old Testament law. But we see on those occasions where John spoke that he talked about the kingdom being at hand. And we find where Jesus is talking about the kingdom is at hand. It had not yet been established. The kingdom and the church are the same thing as we looked at in Scripture last Sunday. We also learn that on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, after the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that the first gospel message was preached. And it had been proclaimed that this was what was going to happen. And Jesus had told His disciples when this would take place. In Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 46, it says, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in His name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. We looked last Sunday also at Mark chapter 9 and verse 1 where Jesus said that some standing here shall not taste of death until they see the kingdom come with power. So again, there's the date. Jesus has given another example here that in Jerusalem is where this is going to take place. And that that gospel message, the death, the burial, and the resurrection by the authority of Jesus Christ would be preached on that occasion. And it was on that occasion in Acts chapter 2 that we learn in verse 41 that they that gladly received the Word were baptized. And in verse 47 we see that the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And there we find the first occasion where the church is in existence. In all other cases, we see that it's pointing to that day. We see where John the Baptist is pointing to that day. Jesus is pointing to that day. When He said, upon this rock, I will build My church. He hadn't built it yet. And so we see it pointing to Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. 
And then on the day of Pentecost, we see where people were added to them daily, to the church daily, such as should be saved. And then in Acts chapter 11 and verse 15, we find that when Cornelius and his household had, had, had the Holy Spirit descend upon them, Peter said it fell on them as it fell on us in the beginning. What's the beginning there in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost? And so this is happening as Jesus had said that it was going to happen. He built His church. It was established on that day. And it, that was the beginning of that church. And in Colossians chapter 1, verses 12-13, through 13, we find giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints of in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. What is that kingdom? That kingdom is the church. The church that you and I can be a part of. The church that many in the religious world need to be striving to teach and preach and do the things that we read about in the New Testament. But yet we look out there in the world, the religious world, and we see a lot of chaos. We see different denominations teaching different things on what one needs to do in order to be saved. We find different denominations out there teaching about the structure of the church. And we see that the Bible tells us that Christ is the head of that church. And we'll look a little bit more at, this, at that this morning. But I want us to look this morning and concentrate on one of the unique attributes of the Lord's church. The one that we can read about in the Bible. And that is the oneness of the church that Jesus built. It's the oneness, the unity of the body, the church. And when you look at your at the religious world, you can ask yourself this morning as we go through this lesson, do we see what we're talking about here in the religious world? Do we see it practiced in the religious world? Jesus said, I will build My church. And that's exactly how He built His church, that we would be one. And so this morning, we're going to look at what the Bible teaches concerning that, that subject. Because it's hard for many good people to accept the fact that there is only one church that Jesus built. And when we look around, we see all the different denominations that are out there. And many, if you go back into their history, you will find that they disagreed with something that was taught and they decided to start their own. Their own church. And as Marshall Keeble said, used to say, it was founded before the day of Pentecost, it was found too early. And if it was found after the day of Pentecost, then it was founded too late. We want to be a part of the church that Jesus died for. Why is that important? Because that's where we see salvation in the Lord's church. That's where we need to be. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, it says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but My words shall not pass away. What's Jesus saying? The things that I say are the things that are important. And in the religious world today, and we even hear it sometimes in the church, that all that matters is what feels good in here. Well, if what feels good in here is contrary to God's Word, you better change what's feeling in here. Because God's Word is what we're going to be judged by. That's what Jesus said. In John chapter 12, and verse 48, He says, He that rejecteth Me and receiveth not My words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last days. 
I think of that passage of Scripture sometimes when I hear people say, just accept Jesus into your heart. Pray this prayer. Pray this sinner's prayer and you'll be saved. Is that what Jesus said do? Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Jesus says, I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Jesus tells us that if we don't confess Him before men, He's not going to confess us before His Father which is in heaven. And He tells us that except you believe that I am He, ye shall die in your sins. So that's what He tells us. And guess what? When we stand on the day of judgment, who's going to be our judge? Jesus Christ Himself. And so you think He's going to remember the words that He said? I think that He will. Because the Bible tells us that He will. And so it's important that we learn what the Bible teaches concerning the church, which is the body of Christ. And so this morning, let's look at some passages of Scripture. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 through 23, it says, And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So there we understand from what the scripture says that the body of Christ is the church. And so if we're in that body, then we're part of the body or the church of Christ, the Lord's church, the church that he built. And how do we get into that body? Well, the Bible teaches us that we're baptized into the body of Christ. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27. And then look at what it tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called, and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Now the Scripture there plainly shows us that there's only one body. But yet you look out there and there's many different denominations. And as I said last week, many of those denominations make a reference in their, in their bylaws or in their, in their creeds or their manuals to being a part of the body of Christ. And sometimes they even refer to it as the church of Christ. Just because I claim to be a Christian, does that mean that I'm a Christian? I illustrated it last Sunday by a neighbor that had built a house and moved up the road from me whose name was Leonard White. And he cashed a check that I was supposed to receive. He wasn't the Leonard White. He was a Leonard White. Jesus didn't say, I will build a church. He said, I will build my church. And so there's a lot of imposters that are out there. In fact, we could be an imposter ourselves if we're not doing what the Bible tells us that we need to do in order to be a child of God, in order to be the church that He describes in the New Testament. But there in that passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 4, there's only one body. That means there's only one church. And people will argue and say, oh, there's multiple churches. Well, is there multiple fathers? Is there multiple faiths? Is there multiple baptisms? Are there multiple uh, spirits? According to that Scripture, there's only one of each one of those things. So the question is, how many bodies? One. And if the body is a church like Ephesians chapter 1 says it is, how many churches are there? One. You say... 
Preacher, you're pretty close-minded. i got relatives that are in all these other denominations. Well, guess what? So do I. I've got family members that are parts of those things too. Does that make it right? Does that make it mean that I can change what the Bible says? No, it doesn't. Remember what Jesus said, the word that I've spoken, the same shall judge you in the last day. We're going to be judged according to His word. Not my word, your word, somebody else's word. His word. And that's what we need to understand. There's only one body, only one church. Back in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 5, it says, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. You know, we've been studying on Sunday morning out here in the auditorium of different parables, and we've talked about the talents, and we've talked about the pounds, we've talked about you know, the, 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 how those things relate to us. And we find there that each one of those individuals had different abilities. That they went out and they doubled their talents or doubled their money. Uh, one went out and hid his and one buried it in the, in the dirt. But the point is that we all have different talents. So each one of us is a member and each member has a different ability. So I may have less than you have or you may have uh, uh, less than I have. But the, the abilities, the talents are something that God expects us to use to glorify His name and to grow as a Christian. And so, yes, we are all individuals in that body. And as we'll see in a, in a little bit, just like our body has many different members, fingers, hands, arms, legs, it's all part of this one body that I have. And that's what Jesus is trying to show us uh, through the, the words of uh, Paul here in Romans chapter 12 that we're all individuals, members, but there's only one body. And that, those members need to be doing what the Lord tells us to do. So we see from all of these Scriptures, I guess I might have one more, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and verse 20, but now are there they many members yet but one body. Again, all different people in the, in the church but we all work together under the direction of the head, which is Christ. In Colossians chapter 1, and verse 18, He is the head of the body, the church. And so we see from all these Scriptures that there is this unique oneness concerning the body of Christ, the church. And this perfectly fits and agrees with the promise that Jesus made when He said, I will build My church. And so the oneness of the uh, the oneness of the church can be seen in the parable of the vine and the branches. In John chapter 15, I don't have all the verses up there, but in John chapter 15 verses 1 through 6, it says, Jesus says, "I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit." Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches. Ye have, 
He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Here we see that that one vine, where Jesus said, I am the vine, that is the Son of God. He is the Son of God. And there's the, the, the main stalk, if you want to call it that, the main point of that, that plant. I had a wild grapevine that was growing on my fence line. And if you looked at the, the, uh, where it came out of the ground, there was a stalk on it about this big. And as it branched off, the branches got smaller. And so you can see there the main point that it had to stay attached to that because if I took the clippers out and I cut one of them off, guess what? That, that, vine, that, that, that vine, the true vine, stayed, but the, what was on the other side died off. It had to stay attached in order to live. It had to stay attached in order to produce grapes. And that's what Jesus is telling us here. Jesus is telling us that we need to stay attached. And that's, and, and that, that's not what we see in the religious world today. That people don't abide in the doctrines of Christ. They don't follow the direction that Jesus gives. In fact, I've heard many different people in the religious world say, well, you know, things have changed. We don't do that anymore. I know it says that in the Bible, but that's what they did in Bible times, so we don't do those things. Now, under the Old Testament, I understand that, but under the New Testament, that's what we live under. Do I have the authority to change that? Do you have the authority to change that? Does any elder have the authority to change that? No, we don't have the authority to change. That's God's Word. And so we need to understand what He's telling us. You see, there are some people that desperately try to justify denominationalism by teaching that the vine is the original and true church and that the branches are the different denominations. But that thinking can't be true for several different reasons. For one, Christ was speaking to His disciples and not to churches. When he said, I am the vine and ye are the branches in verse 5. And it would be a mistreatment of the Scripture to apply a statement to churches when it is applied to individual men. And then number two, Christ said, abide in me, the true vine. If you're abiding in some branch, then you're guilty of error. He said, abide in, abide in some branch. He said, abide in Me, the true branch. He didn't say abide in some branch. He said, abide in Me, the true vine. And then He plainly, number three, He plainly states that the branch is man. And if man abide not in Me, he is cast forth as a branch. Jesus made that very very clear. Now think about that. That last point, how ridiculous to think that on a vine you could grow multiple different kinds of fruit. You would have heard about it by now if I'd have went out and looked at that grapevine that was growing on my fence line and I saw a bunch of clusters of grapes. 
and a watermelon and a cantaloupe and a tomato and all different kinds of fruit hanging on that one vine. That doesn't happen, does it? You know, I, I, I plant a garden and when I put a seed in the ground, I expect it to produce after what is, what, what is it, the kind that has been planted. Corn's going to bring forth corn. Beans are going to bring forth beans. Pumpkins are going to bring forth pumpkins. But that grapevine is going to produce grapes. And guess what? If we're a member of the Lord's church and we're attached to that vine, what's it going to produce? The Lord's church. His people. Christians. Don't you want to be attached to the true vine? How ridiculous it would be to think that you could get multiple different denominations attached to the vine, the true vine of Christ. You see, it can never happen in the natural world so why would anyone think that it could happen in the spiritual world? The ideal of oneness can also be seen in the one fold and the one shepherd. In John chapter 10, verse 16, Jesus said, The other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear My voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Now, some people would read that and say, Aha! Look at that! There's, there's other sheep out there! Well, yeah, there were other sheep out there. There was Gentiles that were still out there, and they weren't brought into the church that we see until Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius. And so when he says, Other sheep I have which are not of this fold. But listen to what he says. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear My voice. And what? They shall be twofold? There shall be threefolds? No, he says there should be one fold and one shepherd. Even those that are out there need to be brought in into that one fold. They need to be in that one flock, that one church, because there's only one shepherd. Notice the picture. One flock, one fold, and one shepherd. It's not a hundred folds, each with its own particular kind of sheep, and each more or less at variance with the other. But it's one fold, one flock, that one flock, that one fold, whatever word. Some translations have flock, some have fold. It's the same thing. There's one. And there's one shepherd. That's what God's Word says. Say, preacher, that sounds closed-minded. Well, you know what? Maybe the Lord's just closed-minded too. That He means what He says and He says what He means. And when He says He's going to build His church, it's His. To dictate whatever standard He wants. In terms of entrance, in terms of worship, the terms of our living as a follower of His. But there's only one fold and only one shepherd. We need to be in that fold and following that shepherd. We can also see in the illustration that Paul gave of the human body the oneness that he talks about. 
In 1 Corinthians the 12th chapter, verses 12 through 27, the church is presented as a figure of the human body, with Christ as a head and all the redeemed as members of the body, uh, working under the direction and control of the head. Listen to what it says in, in 1 Corinthians the 12th chapter. Again, I don't have all those verses up there, but I have the ones that I want us to think about. It says there, beginning at verse 12. For as the body is one and have many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. We could stop right there, and I think that we could understand exactly what he's talking about, that this body has many different members, different parts to it. All of those parts are important, but it makes up that one body which is controlled by the head, which is Christ. Scripture goes on, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. Now there again, we're baptized into that body. That's how we get into it. Whether we be Jew or Gentile, whether we be bond or free, we are all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased Him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet one body. I'm going to stop right there for a moment because I want us to understand that all of these things in our body are different. The finger is not the foot. The eye is not the ear. The ear is not the nose. All of those things are important together. But imagine... If all there was to the body was this giant nose, and that's all it did, you could just smell. You couldn't go nowhere. You couldn't move around. You couldn't wave. You couldn't even pick it. Because it's just a nose. That's all you are. You're just a nose. That just came to me. I don't know why. <laughs> but imagine just being a nose. That's all you could do is smell and sniffle. Or an eye that all you can do is see. Oh, I'd love to go over there. Well, you might be able to roll over there. But imagine, and that's what Paul is telling us, how ridiculous it sounds to know that we're all this part of this, but it's ridiculous to think that one part is more important than another. We need it all. We want that whole body to function correctly. And it's under the direction of our head. And Paul says there that that's the body of Christ. That's how we operate. He goes on, verse 21, And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. Nay, much more of these members of the body, which seem to be more feeble, are necessary. And those members of the body, which we think to be less honorable, Upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacketh. That there should be no chisms in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffereth or suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. 
We're all important. Just like this finger is important. Now, I'm sure you've known of people that's had their fingers cut off. Maybe in some kind of industrial accident. Whatever it may be. I know an individual who had a finger cut off and he had problems because his brain thought it was still there. And he had to learn to work around that and overcome that situation because the brain still operated like it was there and so he would grab it. He couldn't grab it like he used to and do the things that he would do with that finger. When we lose a part of our body, we realize how important that was, even if it's something that we don't think is that good to look at. But it's there for a reason. And that's what we need to realize about God's people. The church. Is that we're all different. We may not all be like the heart. and heart's pretty important. You can't get rid of that. brain's pretty important. You can't get rid of that. But all these other parts are important too, aren't they? And that's what Paul's trying to show us, that we're all individuals, but we're all part of that body. He didn't say all these churches are part of that body. He's telling us as members. That's who he's talking there, the church at Corinth. We're all members and we make up that one body. And we're all important. I'm not more important than you, and you're not more important than I am. We're all important in the sight of God. And we all work together. Why? Because there's one head. And there's only one body. And that head controls the body. Christ is the head, and He controls the body. In Colossians chapter 1, and verse 18, "...and He is the head of the body, the church." who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things ye might have, or he might have preeminence. He's the head of the body. So whose direction should we listen to? Should we listen to Christ? Should we listen to His apostles who were given instruction through the Holy Spirit, which He said would come and guide them in all truth and bring to their remembrance the things that He said? Or should we listen to Pastor so-and-so? or Reverend so-and-so, or Archbishop so-and-so, or Pope so-and-so. We should listen to Jesus Christ and those that He gave instructions to to tell us how to conduct our lives and how to be faithful to Him. He is the head of the church. It's His! By what authority do I have to change anything that He's told us? In the religious world, we see hundreds of bodies, each claiming to have the one head, which is Christ. Could you imagine seeing something that scary? One head and like multiple bodies attached to it. We see things like that in nature occasionally. But what happens? It's a flaw that's taking place, something that's wrong. There's something not right. Could you imagine a creature like that in the animal kingdom? In, in the animal kingdom, one head attached to hundreds of bodies. Well, we don't have to worry about that, do we? Because we're not going to see that in the animal kingdom. But in the religious world, we see different bodies 
each pulling its own way, oftentimes fighting against each other. And that's not what God had intended. There are other examples in the New Testament that we could show or that we could look at that shows the oneness of the church and the unity of the church that Jesus built. But I want us to look at one more item concerning the subject of oneness. And that's the prayer that Jesus prayed himself in John chapter 17. In that prayer, in John chapter 17 and verse 17, Jesus prays to His Father in heaven and He says, Sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy Word is truth. If you've been here on Sunday evening and you've listened to the series of lessons that we talked about in 1 John and we're now currently in 2 John, you see that John is very concerned with the truth. That it's the truth that we need to follow, that we need to have in us that we need to be living by, that we need to be teaching. Why? It's because that truth is what will make us free. And that truth is important. And He's going to be so bold as to say that if you bring up this doctrine, then you're not to have anything to do with those kinds of individuals. We'll look at that not tonight, but next Sunday. That's how important it is. Paul tells us, so if, if even an angel comes and preaches any other gospel unto you, let him be accursed. Why? Because there is no other gospel. There's only one gospel that has the power to save. And that's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. John chapter 17, verse 20. It says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which believe on Me through Their Word, that they may be one as Thou, Father, art in Me, and I in Thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that Thou hast sent Me. You hear what Jesus is praying for? He's praying for all of His believers to be one. You say, well, there's believers all over. There's a difference in a believer and a true believer. When we look at what the Bible talks about, when it talks about belief, belief is something that motivates us to do something. In Hebrews the 11th chapter, we can find a list of individuals that were very faithful to God. It concludes by saying the world's not worthy of some of those individuals. But when Noah was told to build an ark, he by faith built that ark. He was moved. He believed the message that it's going to rain and you need to build this ark. And so he built that ark. Why? Because his faith in what God had told him was going to happen moved him to do what God said. And you can look at Abraham and you can look at Moses and you can look at Sarah and you can look at different ones that are mentioned in that chapter that their faith moved them to do what the Lord said do. That's what faith is. That's what believing. If you believe, I've said it before, if you believe in your doctor and he gives you a prescription, are you going to take it? Well, if you don't really believe in him, then guess what? You might not take it. Well, if we believe in the Lord, aren't we going to do what He says do? And that's what a believer is. Someone who is motivated to do what the Lord wants him to do. And this prayer is a powerful rebuke to the plurality of churches 
that have different doctrines, different creeds, different manuals, different catechisms, and so on. And when someone says that Jesus approves of all these different denominations, aren't they really saying that Jesus was praying a hypocritical prayer? Because that's not what He prayed. He didn't pray that we'd have all we'd have a choice of different churches. He prayed that we would be one. He believed that he was sincere and honest. When he went to his father in prayer on behalf of oneness, his prayer was that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. Was he honest? Was he sincere when he prayed that prayer? Brethren, God is not the author of confusion. First Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 33, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all churches of the saints. If you knew absolutely nothing about the Bible, about Christ, where would you start? Would you look at all the denominations out there? I don't know about you, but my first thought would be when I see all these different things and let's go to different ones, and you hear one say this and one say that and they all have something different, I would be confused. And I've had people that have come here and they say there's something different because you've showed me what the Bible says. Because I'll tell them it doesn't matter what I think, what I believe, what I feel. What matters is what the Bible says. And that's really what we need to be concerned with. And when you can get that through to people that what the Lord says is important, then they're going to have a hunger and a thirst for that Word. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians the 10, first chapter and verse 10, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same things, and that there be no division among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. When you look out there in the religious world today, are they all speaking the same thing? Sometimes even in the church we're not saying the same thing. And that's what was happening with the church at Corinth. And then Paul condemned it. They were saying, I'm a Cephas, I'm a Apollos, I'm a Paul. Different ones. And Paul reminded them who they needed to be followed. They needed to follow Christ because it was Christ who was crucified for them. That's really what we need to be paying attention to. It's not just, oh yeah, I'm a follower of His. I believe that He died on the cross. Our actions. We're going to be known by our fruits. You know, if we're attached to that vine, what kind of fruit are you going to have? What are you going to produce? You see, the Bible does say the churches of Christ salute you in Romans chapter 16, verse 16. And the Bible does speak about the seven churches of Asia in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 4. But the word churches as used in that context is addressing the church in a congregational use. He's talking about churches that Jesus was a part of. He's the head of. And that usage is extent in every case. We speak of the churches of Christ in southeast Michigan. We speak of the churches of Christ throughout the United States. 
We talk about the churches of Christ throughout the world. But guess what? If they're following what the Bible says, they're all saying the same thing, they're all preaching the same thing, they're all doing the same thing. And it used to be you didn't even have to call and check before you went to visit another congregation. You knew that they were Church of Christ. They were members of the body of Christ. That they were part of what that church that Jesus built. And when you went, it was the same. And it's still that way in a lot of places. But unfortunately, some have wanted to be like some of the Israelites. We want to be like others. And we bring those things into the church, the Lord's church. And that's when we're not no longer attached to that vine. And we see in Revelation where Jesus was going to remove their candlestick because they weren't doing what they should. All of these things that we've looked at should convince anyone that Christ is the founder of only one church. Just because the sign says Church of Christ doesn't mean that that church is a Church of Christ. We look at the fruit. We look at what we're doing. The question is, are we doing what the Bible teaches? What Jesus wants concerning His church? And the good news is, if you're not a Christian, you can become a part of that body today. You can be a part of His church that He built. He died so that you could have your sins washed away by His blood. Jesus said in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. What do we need to believe? We need to believe that Gospel message that He is the Son of God, that He died for our sins, that He was buried, and that He rose victorious over the grave on the third day. We see it reenacted in the death, burial, and resurrection in Romans chapter 6, verses 1-6. through And we go down in that water, we come up out of that water a new creature. That's an operated we operate by that or for that on by faith. It's our faith that God said this is what you do. By faith we do it. His grace is extended to us. Our faith accepts that grace, and then we are obedient. Obedience is so important. You can see on the screen what we need to do. We need to hear that word, Romans 10, verse 17. We need to believe according to Hebrews chapter 11, and verse 6. Repent of our sins according to Luke 13, verses 3 and 5. And then confess the name of Christ in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. And then be buried with our Lord in baptism. That's going down into the water. Immersion. Coming up out of that water, a new creature. And we do that to have our sins washed away by His precious blood, as Jesus tells us in Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. And then we need to remain faithful. It's not something that you do today and forget about it tomorrow. It's something that you do today and you live it the rest of your life. Revelation 2 and verse 10, the last part of that verse says, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. You have the opportunity to be a part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Why not accept it? If you're in a, in a, in, in, at the point where you've been severed or you've been cut off or you're not abiding, you need to come back. You need to make things right. You have that opportunity this morning to come and have a seat up here on the front row. We'll take care of your need, whatever it may be, as together we stand and sing.